as is usually the case, someone like me gets invited to come to a place like this and offer lessons and turn their microphones on so that people can hear them. <laughs> offer lessons to be an encouragement and an edification to the group. Uh, someone like me generally finds that uh, I receive more encouragement, likely, by being with a group of God's people who are interested in His Word. And that has been the case this weekend for sure. Not only seeing the teens that came yesterday, but to see in their eyes, I'll be honest with you, to the very last moment of yesterday afternoon session, the engagement that they had with what we were talking about, the good conversations I had with many of them about this topic and about their lives, and then to repeat that today so far with you all and to have good conversations with uh, some people I've known for a while, some people I've just met this weekend, to study God's Word together, to have singing, both led and followed with enthusiasm and a passion for worshiping God. I thank you and for the thoughtful comments offered around the Lord's table this morning. I hesitate to even preach this lesson in a way because we're going to talk about idolatry. And in some ways we're familiar with this idea, this concept. I think I have never been in a Bible class uh, where idolatry was mentioned, where someone, either the teacher or a student, hasn't raised their hand and said, well, you know, we don't bow down to blocks of wood, but we do have idols still in our lives today. Have you ever said that yourself in a Bible class or heard that said? But, but even still, is that, is that really the case? Doesn't it seem a bit extreme to say that, in this instance, our phones... Our computers, our TVs, our video games, our social media accounts, that, that that's really the same thing as the Baals and the Asherahs that the people in the Old Testament bowed down to and worshipped. What we're going to do this morning is first talk about idolatry and look at it in the Scripture. And then we're going to look at the consequences of idolatry, particularly all of this in the Old Testament where these things are talked about the most. And I believe that's in those consequences of idolatry that we'll be able to see most clearly and reflect honestly whether or not these things have become idols in our life. So I hesitate to preach this lesson because I know that this is an extreme thing to say, that our phones or devices could become idols. But I hesitate for another reason, and that is because I don't really know you guys. And I know that it's a, again, serious accusation, even a, a, to imply that you are using or might be using these things in an idolatrous way. That's a big statement. And I'm not here, let me assure you, to quickly pass judgment or to make blanket statements to say, I know this is a problem for you. I don't assume anything. But what I do know is that uh, we are brothers and sisters in Christ together. And I struggle with this. I'm trying to be better. And I believe that wherever you are with these things this morning, you want to be better as well. So it's my prayer and my effort that we can engage in that together. Not only again in this lesson, but in an ongoing conversation. So let's talk about idolatry as we begin. We know that God forbid His people in the Old Testament to worship idols. 
Why is it that God forbid idolatry? Well, one, and maybe most simply, is that idolatry is the worship of other gods. The beginning of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. There is only one God. That's the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6 that is still repeated by the Jewish people on a daily basis. Jehovah, Jehovah our God, Jehovah is one. So there is only one God. Idolatry worships other gods, and there are no other gods. This is the foundation of monotheism. But remember from the Deuteronomy chapter 6 passage that the implication, the upshot, we might say, of the fact that there is only one God, Jehovah is one. Therefore what? You shall love the Lord your God. How? With all your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. Because there is only one God. And so we give Him singular worship and love. But also we read and see in the Old Testament that idolatry isn't just always about other gods, but idolatry also makes an image of a holy God, of Jehovah. This is seen in the famous or infamous story of the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32. Aaron, when he creates that golden calf that the people want him to make for them, says in that passage, Behold your God that led you out of Egypt. And then in Exodus 32 verse 6, it says that he proclaimed a feast for Jehovah. That golden calf was not intended, I don't think, to be another God, but it was intended to be an image of the God that they believed led them out of Egypt. But you remember that in the Ten Commandments, it didn't just say, God didn't just say no other gods, He said no graven images. And I believe that means of another God or a graven image of Jehovah God Himself. God, of course, is transcendent. He's invisible. It cheapens God, does it not? To make an image of Him that we would worship. But there's another aspect of this that we can connect to our lesson from earlier which is that the idea of an idol or an image of God, God has already stamped His image in the earth. And He has stamped His image on us, on humans. Humans are the image bearers of God. In an ancient society, a, a land of a nation, and that nation would have a God, a, a, a deity that was their God. And the land would be filled with images of that deity to remind people whose land this is. Well, God did that from the beginning in the most true and the most real sense. He stamped humans with His image and then told humans to fill the earth so that His image, so that His glory could be everywhere. Humans' task... Our task as humans is to represent God and to fill the earth with His glory. But idolatry denies God that glory and gives that glory to something else. Something created other than us. And then finally we would say about why God forbid idolatry is that to trust in an idol is to trust in nothing. And only God can provide what is needed. This is the particular warning most often given by the prophets of Israel. People like Isaiah that warned against worshiping idols. So for instance, in Isaiah chapter 44, Isaiah actually mocks those who worship an idol. And he talks about how you would take a piece of wood, a log from a tree that's fallen down, and you would cut that wood up, and with some of the wood you would cook your food, and some of the wood you would heat your house, and then some of the wood you carve it and bow down to it. 
And Isaiah is saying, how ridiculous is that? Idols are nothing. Earlier in that passage in Isaiah 44, Isaiah says, those who fashion a graven image are all of them futile. Their precious things are of no profit. It does no good to worship an idol because the idol is nothing and can do nothing for us. Idolatry is trusting in something that cannot deliver us. So here's what we'd say to summarize all of this. Jehovah God forbids idolatry. Why? Because he is a jealous God. And God himself is jealous for trust and love and worship and glory. The things that only belong to God, the things that he deserves, and things that only should be given to him alone. And I want to stop here for a minute and think about these terms that we have put up here. And think about how these terms, trust and love and glory, might have some connection to our use of technology and of media and of social media. Think about this idea of trust. We depend on our technology for a lot. The phone that's in your pocket is likely on a daily basis your flashlight, your calculator, your schedule, where you have your recipes, how you get directions. But it's not so much the fact that we depend on these things for everything, although uh, like finding our way to the grocery store that we mentioned earlier, I think maybe we should practice addition and subtraction a little bit more, right? But we're not so much talking about how much we use these things as much as the unhealthy reliance that we have developed on these things. I think about trust, and I think about questions like, where do we go first when, right? Isn't that one very clear sign of what a person trusts in? Where do you go when you're anxious? Where do we go when we're bored? Where do we go when we're joyful at the reception of some wonderful news? Where we turn first is often synonymous with the thing that we trust in, the thing that we rely on. So what is it that we are trusting in? Or the next term, thinking about the idea of love or affection or admiration. How do you know what somebody loves? You know, they used to say you want to know a man's love, just look at his checkbook. But now it's like, what's a checkbook, right? Look at a credit card statement. There's one way to do that. We tend to spend our money on the things that are the most important to us. And that doesn't necessarily mean, I guess, that the biggest line items equal the things that are our heart's biggest affections. But there are general correlations to be made. And of course, in our world especially, time is money. And so where our time is given is maybe even a stronger indication of what it is that we love. But Jesus says, as you remember, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then finally, this idea of glory or worship or praise or honor. When we use our devices, when we watch movies and TV shows, when we're on social media, what is it that's being recognized or given glory or being praised or being honored? Is it a celebrity or a sports star? Is it things like money or entertainment? Or is it even some version of sin? How many TV shows that we watch or movies really in the end are glorifying adultery? violence, or some other form of sin. But when we think about idolatry, what is it? 
And you can go either direction. You can think about the idolatry in the Old Testament of bowing down to the Baals and the Asherahs, or you can think about the idolatry that we're talking about today. What is it ultimately that we are trusting in? What is it ultimately that we are loving or worshiping when we create idols? Is it really the God, the false God, the idol itself that we worship and love? Really, ultimately, it's ourselves. Really, idolatry is self-worship. So we might say that God created us in His image so that we would love Him, trust in Him, and worship Him. We have created idols in our image. They look like us. So that we can serve and please ourselves and give ourselves the glory. So that's, in essence, what idolatry is and why God forbids it. But let's talk about the consequences of idolatry and if we notice any of these consequences in our lives when it comes to our technology. Three things that we will point out, again, uh, from the text of Scripture. The first is that when humans make idols and worship idols, they create a burden for themselves. This is a really interesting passage to me in the book of Isaiah chapter 46. He's speaking about two Babylonian gods, uh, Bel and Nebo. And it appears that the people of Judah, who are about to be taken away into Babylonian captivity, have been worshiping these gods of the Babylonians. Maybe they thought that would keep them safe from being taken by the Babylonians. But notice what Isaiah says in chapter 46, verse 1. He says, Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. These are the idols themselves. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are born by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together. Unable to rescue the burden, they themselves go off into captivity. So you see a picture here of the people being led off into captivity, and they are weighed down by the idols that they're carrying. You see the, the irony of that image. They trusted in these idols. Now they are carrying the idols to Babylon and to their own demise. The idols can't stop them from being taken into captivity. It may also be that uh, God is saying, you can't keep your idols from going into captivity. Either way, it's the same point. The idols did nothing for them in the end except to weigh them down and to become a burden for them. And so we might ask, has our technology and our media become a burden to us? A load that we carry to our own harm? What about our phones? There's research that shows that we check our phones every 4.3 minutes of our life. Our waking life. Although maybe you check your phone in your sleep. Every 4.3 minutes that we're awake, we check our phone for something. And I feel that myself. Why is it that I can't walk by the counter where my phone is, is lying there without reaching out just to, just to see? Anything happened yet? Anything new? Why is it that I can't stand in the checkout line of the grocery store for 30 seconds without... Where's the phone? Anything going on? Get, get something, do something, do anything on there. Or what about our news and our media? And I would say news media is particularly dangerous, maybe especially in our world. We have placed this burden on ourselves. 
feeling like we have to know what's going on. We have to watch the news. We have to check the computer. We have to watch the latest videos. We have to look on Twitter to see what everybody is saying about the latest news. And all of this just weighs us down and makes us miserable. And even our entertainment media, I would say, like TV shows, can become a burden. Have you ever felt that? Man, I got to get through six episodes this week. Man, we really got to, you know, stay up late. Or I got to finish this before I can go to, on to the next episode. Or that new movie came out. We got we to see that. These things become a burden to us. We don't call them gods, but we let them run our lives as if they are. And when these things run our life, again, they fail to deliver us what we are seeking, which is fulfillment and joy and wisdom and pleasure. But the next two verses of Isaiah 46, to me, are wonderful. Immediately following this picture of idols that cannot save their people and become a burden instead, God says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, you who I have upheld since your birth, and have carried you since you were born. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Shouldn't a God carry his people and not the other way around? All these material loves, of course, will decay. They will become obsolete. It will become apparent, if it hasn't already, that they are futile. But when we lay down our burdens, our idols, and allow God to carry us, He will take away the misery. He will lighten our loads, lighten our hearts, to carry us through our sorrows, through our loneliness, even through our old age and into our eternal homes. We carry these idols as burdens. God will carry us. The second consequence of idolatry that we see in Scripture is that we exchange the glory of God for a production, creation of man. We exchange God's glory for a production of man. This is a familiar passage in Romans chapter 1. I want to look at it with you. We're speaking of the creation. Paul says, what can be known about God is plain because God has shown it to them and shown it to us. For his invisible attributes, mainly his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. But, he says, of the Gentile world that has fallen into uh, to destruction and futility, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul is saying here that anybody and everybody should and is able to Look at the creation of God. Look at the world that He has made and learn about God and be filled with awe and wonder for Him. And yet, today, the average American spends basically all days indoors and over 90% of their free time on devices. 
And what is it, again, that we are drawing our attention to through our screens? Well, at best, the things that we're looking at on that screen are a lesser representation of the glory of God's beautiful creation. Think about a picture. I should have put one up from, from a, a vacation or something. Go to Yosemite National Park, take a picture. If I showed it to you, you'd say, well, that, that picture is nice. But if you've been there, you'd say, that's nothing like being there. It doesn't even compare in producing the wonder and the worship of seeing God's creation with your own eyes. And the same thing is true with people. It is a wonderful thing. And again, I am very thankful that we are able to literally now see each other when we're not together to talk over FaceTime or over Zoom. But I bet all of us would say we've learned for sure in the last few years that that is just not the same thing. It does not produce the same connection, the same power of interaction and of closeness, of being in the presence of somebody face to face. When we are stuck on our phones, on our computers, on our TVs, and even at times books, what we're doing is staring at text or videos or images, isn't that what idols are? And images that are produced by man. And that's the second part of this that I want to highlight. So at best, it's a lesser representation of God's creation. But at worst, what we consume has been produced, produced by somebody for a specific purpose. Have you ever seen a beautiful landscape video of the Rocky Mountains only to discover 20 seconds later that it's a Jeep commercial? Commercials are a great example of this. There's a, there's a Toyota commercial that ran during the Olympics about a Paralympic swimmer. And uh, if you, you know what I'm talking about, you may remember it, you can go look it up. Literally, the dozen times that I've seen it, I've been weeping at the end. So emotional. And it's beautiful, the message that it's sending. Except really, the people that created that commercial made it so that I would go buy a Toyota. That's what they wanted. And all we drive is Toyotas, like the Holcomb. So maybe they did their job masterfully. But every movie, every TV show is made by someone, and as you know, that person is almost certainly an unbeliever. And the media has been crafted for a purpose, to send a message. And I'm not here to say that that means that every message is bad or that every media should be avoided. But I am saying that we need to be aware that these things are being created by people and that they are being created to send some sort of message. And that's maybe especially true of social media. That all the pictures that we see, the profiles of others that we're looking at are being crafted to present a certain image of that person that is often exaggerated, polished, or maybe even false. So let's take care, the, the warning of Romans 1, not to let the handiwork of man become the food for our souls. And instead, in the language of Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Let's feed on that and nourish our souls. And then finally, talking about the consequences of idolatry. We become what it is that we worship. We become what we worship. 
I love this passage in Psalm 115. It's a great picture of what idols are and what happens to us when we worship idols. Just a, uh, a section of Psalm 115 here. And notice the contrast. He says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them, the psalmist says, become like them. And all, so do all who trust in them. Idols, as we've said, are a poor representation of reality. They look real, those pictures, right? They look real, but they can't speak or hear or walk. And the psalmist says the danger is that we become like the idols that we worship. What, what does that mean, and how does that apply when it comes to technology and media? We'll talk about this more tonight, but media is perhaps easier to understand. If we're honest, we know that the movies we watch, the music we listen to, it affects us. It, it changes the way we think, changes the way that we view the world. But social media and the Internet is perhaps, to me, scarier. Because if, if you're not aware of this, you should be, that the platforms that we're using, the websites that we're looking at, they are designed to curate what we see, and filter what we see based on what it knows we want to see on our interests and on our previous history. One more, at least for now, book, movie, reference. I'm re-listening to the Harry Potter series on Audible. And in the first Harry Potter book, there is what's called the Mirror of Erised. And Erised is desire spelled backwards. So that's a clever move uh, on J.K. Rowling's part. The mirror of Erised, you look into it, and you see yourself with what would make you the most happy. The thing that would make you most happy, that's what you see in the mirror. And that's really what our devices have become. Because when you look at Facebook, Facebook is showing you what it is that you want to see. The things that you agree with. The things that you like. And websites and advertisements do all the same things. They've been designed that way. And so the more we stare at these things, the more we're simply just seeing our own desires. And those desires are fed, and we get sucked in farther and farther, and that becomes more so our life. And in general, technology, we would say, flattens reality because of that lesser representation. So if all of our social interactions are virtual, if we only ever see God's creation through an image, if we ever only experience what's shared on social media, then we are cheapening the beauty of the life that God has given us. We're becoming two-dimensional. And in many ways, we're becoming less human. And do we really want that? Is that really what we desire? Do we really want to continue staring into this faint blue glow until we become zombie-like reflections of the world that we live in, one that is commercialized and hypersexualized and politicized and ignorant and shallow and headed to destruction? Is that really what we want to gaze at day after day and how we want to be transformed? 
How about an alternative that I will offer you? Coming from the language of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, when he says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into His image, into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. If it's true that we are what we worship, we become what we worship, then when we worship God, we become like Him. When we gaze at the glory of Jesus, we become like Him. When we fill our lives with the Spirit of God and are led by the Word of God, then we are changed. Our thoughts change, our hearts change, and our lives change. So let's walk in His world, literally, Delight and meditate on His Word. Spend time with His people. Let's think on His things. Let's sing His songs. And His glory will, as Paul says, keep transforming us from one stage of glory to the next into eternity. So, is technology an idol after all or not? Again, I can't speak for you, but I know that in my life, my devices have become a burden. They have stolen my attention away from God's glory, and they have changed me for the worse. And the scary thing about idols, and you'll remember this from the Old Testament, is that idols require a sacrifice, do they not? And think about it in the Old Testament. Idols require a sacrifice, and that sacrifice gets greater and greater, even to the point where the children of Israel were offering their own sons and daughters on the altar of Molech. What have I sacrificed at the altar of my technology, of my media? Have I sacrificed creative, fruitful goals in my life? Have I sacrificed happy moments with my family? Have I sacrificed the opportunity to become a student and an expert in God's Word? Have I sacrificed important, meaningful time with God's people? What happens is our idols eventually take everything from us and leave us with nothing but the burden of emptiness, loneliness, regret, and shame. But here's the invitation of our Lord. Come to me. Come to me, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. There is only one God, and guess what? That God requires everything of us as well. But when we give everything to God and lay everything down at His altar, He takes our burdens from us, and He carries us. So let's lay down our idols and our burdens at His feet. And instead, pursue life with a God who will, in the language of Psalm 16, make known to me the paths of life, in whose presence there is fullness of joy, and at whose right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at His wonderful 
face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. That's the invitation that the Lord offers. And if you need help in a special way, in a public way from this congregation, we ask you to come now to the front as we stand and sing.